The time is now. Welcome to the Time Is Now podcast with Dr. Slava Shut. I'm Dr. Slava Shut. I'm a CEO, entrepreneur, and doctor of physical therapy. I want to introduce today a very special guest. His name is Josh Fitch. Josh is a partner and creator of Troxel Fitch LLC, the law firm designed to meet the needs of business operating in this mo modern marketplace. It's a pleasure to have you today. Please tell the audience who you are and all about you. Thanks for having me, Dr. Slava. Uh, really glad to be here. Uh, so my name is Josh. I'm one of the co-founders of Troxel Fitch LLC. Uh, we are a business law firm that serves entrepreneurs with everything from business formation, equity capital financing, mergers and acquisitions, commercial contracting, real estate transactions. Basically everything that breaks down to deal making is things we can help with. We are helping entrepreneurs with the protections that they really need that are gonna help them you know, prevent losses and, and move on to the next step without you know, draining entrepreneurs dry because you know, as everybody who's ever worked in a startup knows, you know, runway and cash spend is, is a critical thing. Um, and we try not to be a, a big drain on that and really provide high value to entrepreneurs where they need it uh, without overdoing it. Tell us a little bit about why you started this business. Because when we talk to entrepreneurs, it's good when you promote what you're doing now. But what I like to do for young entrepreneurs is talk about the journey, the, the feelings, the emotions, really getting into what on earth changed you from being this young guy, law school, right? You know, we have the thoughts, we want to change the world, and then we get out into the real world, and guess what happens? A lot of people just fall into the trap of being sheep and just going into the little cubicle, and then that's it. Their hopes and their dreams are gone. So you're doing big things. You're doing incredible things. Tell us about the journey and how this all began. Sure. So uh, my story actually is one that, you know, kind of came from tragedy and, and led to triumph in a way that I never would have wished for or expected, but um, you know, I'm happy to be where I'm at now. So when I started law school, I originally kind of wanted to go to law school to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I grew up playing sports and realized that all the best players were also masters of the rules so they could operate most effectively within them. And that's kind of why I went to law school. I never fully intended to practice, but until I had that eureka moment to allow me to be an entrepreneur, I, I wanted to learn the rules. So at least I could be doing something productive in my time. And while I was there, I, I had kind of the process that you described where you know, law school is a place where everyone has similar skills to you. Everyone's almost, you know, equally smart as you, and you're all learning the same thing. And it's very easy in the whole process of law school is drilling a risk aversion into you that attorneys have that entrepreneurs can't have. Um, and in that process, I found myself kind of conforming to that mold, even if unwillingly, just from the pressure of it. And, you know, I, as I networked with attorneys to try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I found that so many of them were very highly compensated, very well regarded, uh, respected, and very competent and, and good at what they did. But I found misery as, as a very unfortunately common trait. You know, so many of these people were locked behind desks and just billing their life away. And they made all this money, then would spend it to try to escape their life and then come back to their life. And I started to see this cycle that seemed like a trap. And what really concerned me was that when you surround yourself by a bunch of other people who have made the same decision and are validating themselves the same way, that group thing can turn into a, a prison in a way that it's the only way you look at things and it's the only way that you can view success in your life. And I feared that, but I, you know, you have student loans and you've got to make a living. So I began to come down, walk down that path. And unfortunately, two weeks before I graduated law school, um, my older brother, who was someone who was extremely influential in my life, at, at times a role model, at times a counterexample, but a person that I deeply loved and respected, 
um, passed away of a drug overdose. And uh, that was devastating to me. And I had to basically kind of figure out a way to grit my teeth and get through law school to graduate. But with the job search of, of walking into this path of basically a life of prolonged misery in exchange for a good salary, and then juxtaposed with that, that real visceral understanding of how short and fragile life is, um, it became a, an untenable thing for me to, to consider. And one of the things my brother had always encouraged me to do was to be brave enough to be different and to recognize that while I have the skills instilled by law school, I have additional skills, interpersonal skills, networking skills. I'm extroverted where most attorneys tend to be introverted. And I like the pursuit of going to get business. I like the risk and, and the nerves that you feel when you walk into a big room. And those things don't scare me, they excite me. And I started to think to myself, you know, how could I go into this profession that is going almost asked expressly for five years of misery in exchange for a resume line when I now felt deeply that five years wasn't guaranteed, let alone tomorrow. Um, and that even if it was, I don't want to spend whatever precious time I have left on this earth doing something just to make someone else wealthy in a way that's going to be at the cost of my own quality of life. So I began to think about like, okay, so how do I how do I use this legal education in a very archaic and tradition-based profession, but do it in a way that allows me to live my life benefiting others and having control of my time and being able to have my own hands on the kind of steering wheel of quality of life and work-life balance? And I thought to myself, well, starting a business really requires two primary functions, um, creating a product or service that the market wants and creating a mechanism to deliver that product to the market. And with a legal education and a degree to practice law, I already had one of those parts of the equation satisfied. Uh, legal, you know, legal skills will always be in demand. And I thought, well, rather than this being a more difficult entrepreneurial journey, it's almost just half of it's already done for me. And now I just have to find a way to get this product to the market. So it really started as a, like a rejection of the traditional legal career uh, without much more. And that kind of mortal necessity to find a different way to live my life as an attorney and to uh, create a path that would allow me to take care of my loved ones and, and live the life that I want while still using my legal education um, was something that I knew I had to figure out. I didn't quite know how to, um, but I was determined to do so. And in thinking on it, I realized that there is a kind of a sweet spot of entrepreneurship where there are startups that need good legal representation and yet don't have the big bank for it nor are they necessarily the blue chip startups that are going to be able to give equity out in exchange for services that is really underserved. Um, there aren't many attorneys who practice corporate transactional law that aren't in the big firms. And in my love of networking and going to startup events and being in Denver, Colorado, which is a very active startup community, I realized that I could kind of use all the skills and the things that I wanted to, to go generate the business and, and build that client base to run my law firm. So it was an uphill climb to start. Um, I was at the time when I graduated, driving Lyft when I didn't have enough legal work, you know, eating ramen noodles because I didn't have the money to pay for things and had all this student debt. And it was certainly a slice of humble pie to have, um, you know, passengers in my car when I was driving Lyft asked me what I did for my day job. And I told them I was an attorney and they would just laugh in my face uh, and no one really believed it. So that was certainly something that you had to grapple with. But in time, we were able to make it work and develop our own client base and, and do really good work for our clients. So for me, my journey to becoming an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial attorney started with wanting to be an entrepreneur. Um, and then that kind of mortal impetus of not having a preference to not go into big law, but really having kind of that, that moral imperative to resist that. Um, 
and you know where there's a will there's a way and I just kind of refused to in honor of my brother's legacy kind of refused to be trapped in that mold and through the help of great people some luck um, and a lot of hard work it's turned into what it is today and I'm I'm immensely proud of it I'm very grateful for it but yeah it was it's something that I never would have wished for and I could never have plotted this route or, or seen it but now that we're here um, it all seems that it, it worked out exactly how it should have it sounds like nobody wants tragedy. And we, we talk about this entrepreneurship all the time. The struggle, the humble pie, as you said, is the driving force, you know, the fuel to not be ordinary. An entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur, is not an ordinary person. They go in a different way than the average person. The average person goes down a road, they really care what other people think, they don't exert them as much themselves as much. They don't like to fail because they want to be comfortable. They want to be safe. And everything's about safety. An entrepreneur, for a lesson for you, all of you out there, sometimes it's not safe. Sometimes not fun. Sometimes it's, it's not even exciting. But it's all about mindset. So the discomfort is what builds your character. The discomfort is what builds that entrepreneur muscle. And when you work that entrepreneur muscle and you work that entrepreneur muscle, you build some big old entrepreneur muscles. And then as the kids nowadays would say, you can flex on it. So, you know, you have a partner and the partner I heard is, uh, is a friend of yours. And one of my buddies is one of my business partners in my medical practice. So are there challenges working with a friend? Is there things that you guys uh, go through? And sometimes, uh, you know, there's a, hustle of ideas and thoughts? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think being able to work with your best friend is, is an incredible blessing, but also it's a risk. And I mean, I think we max that out. We met each other in law school and became roommates in law school. And in starting the firm, both being broke graduates, obviously we weren't going to go make a huge rent expense. So we actually lived together for the first five years of running our firm. So not only did we run a business as friends, we didn't get any breathing room from each other which was really turned to the max during the COVID lockdown where we worked and lived at the same place and there was you know, no breathing room at all. But when you succeed, it is incredible to get to do set out on your own path and enjoy the, the fruits of your success with a friend. But the risk is also extremely severe. And I think in our experience, what it requires is an incredible amount of accountability uh, to yourself because you never want to create that tension where he has to tell me that I'm messing up or I have to tell him or we have to bring in these subjective metrics of, well, I feel like you're not doing enough, or I feel like this and that, which is always going to lead to dispute because each person loves to believe that they're, they're a rock star and that they're doing the best. And when you have to look in the mirror like that, sometimes it's very difficult, particularly when your best friend is shining that mirror in your face. So what we did was set objective metrics that however we met these metrics, if they were satisfied, we were each doing our job. And in doing so, we took kind of the burden of subjectivity off of it, of having one of our success or work output being a, a, a matter of someone else's perception. And we drilled it down into objectively verifiable things. You are working this hard or not. You're, you're producing this many hours of work. You're going on this many networking meetings or you're not. And that is not necessarily subject to debate. That is, it is a binary. It is or it is not. And I think in doing that, we were able to remove some of the tension of us being at each other's throats and just, it was us against the tasks or us against what we promised each other that we would do. So we didn't have to deal in, I think this, or I think that it was, it was just very set. Um, and I think it also requires a, a very um, delicate recognition of what hat you are wearing 
at a certain time. You know, there are certain business problems that require your business partner to resolve. There are certain friendship problems that require someone to be wearing their friend hat to resolve. Right. And as friends, it would have been like, hey, you know, let's let's cut out early. Let's go to happy hour because that would be fun. Um, but it wouldn't have been good for the business. And we needed to wear our business hats at that time and say, no, I know it'd be fun to go to happy hour, but we need to work. Um, and there were other times, particularly as friends and roommates, um, where personal issues were affecting work, whether it be a bad breakup or family issues where the work output is diminishing, but it's not because of a work reason. It is because of a personal reason. And at that point, I think it requires a recognition that one of us talking to the other as if we were their boss and talking about the work metrics when someone's dealing with a personal crisis is not going to be effective and is only going to splinter the relationship further. And I think it required that kind of discipline and compassion to recognize that if I want to solve this work problem right now, I need to be a friend and not a, not a business partner. Um, and in doing so and, and recognizing when we need to be wearing each hat, we've been able to solve those problems and get through it. And in doing so, become even stronger business partners and friends. But I think it can get very treacherous when people forget that you're doing two things at once. You need to be a business partner, but you also need to be a friend. Um, and both those things need to happen simultaneously. And I think recognition of that, not, not hoping that it's going to happen on accident, but affirmatively focusing on that um, can be really helpful. And with two attorneys, you know, you guys are well-learned and you guys through schooling basically are taught to be very analytical, right? that's one. And number two, you know, you try to um, objectify a lot of things. So you, you look at some of the facts, the figures, you're, you're trying to uh, find a, weed out the minutia and get to the crux of things. Does that create a challenge between the two attorneys creatively when you're trying to do something for a client? Do you guys share clients or do you have separate, completely separate accounts? So we mostly have separate accounts. Um, so we'll share ideas and brainstorm with each other. But in terms of interacting with the client, they tend to interact with one of us um, exclusively. Uh, we rarely work as a team on any client issues. But we do, um, in brainstorming creative solutions or how to solve a problem for a client, we will brainstorm together. And I think that's where um, a certainly a large stroke of luck came in. And the, in addition to having kind of the understanding of each other being you know best friends who have gone through the ringer together, um, we once took a personality uh, profile in law school, and our professor originally thought that the results were a the results had uh, failed, like one of our results did not show up. But went and verified it, and our personalities were actually so similar that our dots overlapped on the graph. Um, we answered almost all the same uh, questions the same way. So that is something I don't know if you could necessarily use as a model for other individuals, but. We are so simpatico in the way that we think that we rarely disagree. And there's many times that you could ask me a question about how Nick would respond and I could tell you accurately and, and vice versa. So that tends not to be a problem for us because we're almost always on the same page by default. Very nice. Uh, that's truly amazing because I bet if 99.9% .9 of business partners took personality tests, they would not overlap like that, I imagine. Most you probably want them to be different for, you yeah. know, for you know, complementariness, but for us, it, it just worked out that way. I would see even relationships. Uh, that would be kind of interesting. I mean, you know, uh, I know me and my wife, uh, our dots would be completely opposite spectrums of uh, whatever personality test we take. So the kudos to you guys that, you know, you guys are like the mold of the same person in different bodies. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Thank God we have different tastes in women because we don't butt heads at all. Um, and otherwise we tend to be right on the same page. Are there any challenges that you guys faced 
as CEOs, as uh, business people, how do you deal with these high level people, you know, applying your challenges that you faced as an entrepreneur and you guys are young to some of these big time business people, you know, how, how do you take your challenges and express them with your clients? So I think in my, from my perspective, it's all about showing your work. Many people who have achieved success and are confident and may or may not be egotistical don't really like to be told what to do, but they will adopt a good idea. So anytime I face that challenge of, you know, hard-headed clients to say, this is the way it's going to be done or, or resisting our advice, um, I can understand that because I don't like to be told what to do. Um, and anybody who thinks for themselves usually thinks that they come to the best conclusion. So that's where I'll just think out loud rather than kind of giving someone a command about this is what's going to happen. I'll say, okay, well, if I was in your shoes and this is the situation I was facing, I would consider A, B, and C, and I would be concerned about X, Y, and Z. And this would lead me down this path. If my priorities were the, the, here, I might divert this way or that way and just kind of put myself in their shoes and think out loud for them. So they're not having to resist my suggestion or mine versus theirs. They can kind of see all the work laid out in front of them. If they disagree with any of the premises, we can discuss that and why we may disagree. But rather than kind of giving someone the answer, I give them the equation. And then they can tinker with the equation and say, well, I view this differently. And we say, okay, well, then let's morph the equation. And that tends to kind of put the egos aside because now it's not my idea or your idea. It's, hey, if you can agree with this general thought structure, then we can work within that. And if we want to tinker with the structure, we can do so. But now it's more collaborative. The two of us are basically dealing in the equation and trying to get the right answer out of it rather than my idea versus your idea. What do you think are the qualities of a successful entrepreneur business person? I think probably first and foremost are um, drive and self-awareness. As anybody who's ever attempted to start up knows, it's an incredible amount of work. And you have to kind of have that insatiable appetite for it. You have to view challenges as opportunities. You have to be able to grit your teeth and just get through the hard times. And you have to become an unstoppable force and have that drive to just overcome the plethora of challenges, both expected and unexpected. And I think second is self-awareness and in, in knowing where your skill set lies and when you should ignore advice and proceed on your own path because you're the person with the great idea and an awareness of your blind spots uh, and a willingness to acknowledge this is a place where I don't have the expertise or where I don't may not have the best idea and then seeking good counsel, whether that be through attorneys, business partners, employees, um, advisors, whatever that looks like. I think it's very important that someone is willing to take advice in the areas where they are not confident because we either see people with grand ideas who lack the drive to bring them to fruition or people who are so self-assured that they're unwilling to listen to advice. And while they may have the right answer on a few of the critical problems, they fail to take advice on the ones where they don't, and those end up becoming problems. And that doubling down of someone's own idea, that unwillingness to listen is what leads them uh, into places where they can't find their way out of. You know, we talk about often, there's two types of ways people learn. Either you're teachable or coachable or both. And there's a big difference. We talk about often about teachable. Well, you can take your time. You can learn a subject. You can be taught. You can use your own brain power. You're like, I don't understand this, or I do understand this. I agree. I don't disagree. Coachable is a different thing. When people come to you for advice and your expertise, if they're not coachable, they're very difficult to work with because the coach says, run this play. Here's the ball. Go that way. If you're like, well, I don't know. Maybe the other way is better. Maybe, maybe this play is better. 
Play's over. Game over. Okay. So the bottom line, the end of the day is, you know, they came to you for a reason. They want to hear your expertise. And sometimes you have to work with people and find out if they're coachable or not. Are there any like mentors that helped you guys along the way to get to this point? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we had many legal mentors who were fantastic that helped us both understand better how to practice law and how to serve clients as well as how to run a law firm. And then there are people that I don't know if you'd call them as much mentors or role models, um, but people whose philosophy on life, their refusal to lose, their willingness to bet on themselves despite the odds and understanding that they would either succeed or would rather fail on their own decision than fail on someone else's. And it was those stories of success and the validation that that brings to think where it's not common. And, you know, the wisdom of the crowd may urge you against this, but there are always exceptions to every rule. And if you can be the person who works hard enough and, you know, has a stroke of luck or whatever it might be, people do succeed going alternate routes. And I think it was the mentors who taught us how to practice law and gave us the confidence that we could do it. And then those thought leaders who inspired us to be willing to be brave enough to take a different route. Um, and believe in ourselves that we could succeed that really kind of made the magic formula for us to do it. And ultimately it came down to the fact that, you know, this is my life and I'm the one who will deal with the consequences. Um, there may be safety in the advice of others or in the safe path, but there's not, and there's not extraordinary results. And we both kind of thought to ourselves that I would rather fail on my own decisions and have to deal with that on my deathbed than lead a life of mediocrity based on someone else's advice or God forbid, fail on their advice. And then you'd be left in the same spot of failure. But at least if you fail on your own, you have all the wisdoms that come from the thought process that got you there, the thought process that got you through it and ultimately led to failure. And you can learn from that. But if you never understand the philosophy that you're embarking on because it's somebody else's, then all that wisdom is wasted. So we just decided if we succeed, this would be the best way to succeed. And if we failed, this would be the best way to fail. So there's really no other choice. You talked about success and failure. And I often like to ask this question. How do you define and measure success? It's really for me, like a feeling in my heart and gut. If I wake up in the morning and I'm delighted to be living my life and the people in my life have good relationships, I love the people I should love and they love me back. I can be there for the people who depend on me. I can help the people that I want to help. Then that success to me. Money is nice, but I don't tend to measure success monetarily. Uh, I think if you are in the right place doing the right things for the right people in the right way, you can't escape money. It will find you Um, because you'll be so passionate about your endeavors that you'll inevitably create skill and that skill will lead to value. Um, But for me, it's I think a lot of people have lost their soul chasing money, thinking that that is success alone. And I was very blessed to um, go to a very exclusive private high school in South Florida. And I was able to go on a full academic scholarship. I was surrounded by people who had limitless financial resources and yet still dealt with the same teenage angst, the same insecurity, the same problems that everyone else does. And I realized, well, so I guess money doesn't solve all those problems. And I met other people who were incredibly fulfilled and, and wonderfully happy human beings that didn't have money. And it was because of the balance and the way they lived their life on their own scorecard. So I learned at a young age to recognize that money is a tool, nothing more, nothing less. And a tool is only valuable how you use it. And it can be used to to enrich your life, to have more friends at your dinner table, uh, to spend more time enjoying fun events with the people you love, or it can be used as a part of your identity to set yourself apart from others, to exclude others because you are in this stratosphere that they can't reach. And 
that leads to loneliness. Um, so for me, success is a metric of how it feels in my heart. Um, do I feel like I'm impacting other people's lives positively? Am I spending my days in a way that I enjoy doing so? And am I having a positive effect on the world? Will the world be at least, at least slightly better because I live? And if those things are true, then I feel like I'm successful regardless of what my bank account looks like. And if they are not, the solution is rarely build more and earn more money. The solution is reground myself, um, you know, remind myself of my values, of why I do this, of what I live for, and reinvest in those things. And I find that when I do that, the work naturally picks up as well because I'm a more invigorated person. I'm more focused. I'm more self-actualized. And just improvement in work just becomes a byproduct of that. When you stimulate these parts of the brain, you know, physiologically, you, you hit the nail on the head on so many things. Uh, you're wise beyond your years, my friend. So chemically, the feelings you talked about, they're feelings, that's true. And you have centers in your brain where you have emotional memory and things like that. But there's centers in the brain where when you align your core values with your drive and your determination, that's what leads you for your brain to seek out exactly the success you're talking about. So you tend to see it over and over again. When you fixate, for instance, on a certain car, I want that car, I want that car, I want that car. And then you see that car everywhere. You see it because, you know, we talk about manifestation and some people don't believe in it, but you talked about success and all these things that you put in your thoughts, your feelings you know, they're very true because then you seek out all these things that align for you and then they come true for you and business will come. Money comes and goes. And you said it, you know, how many people do we know that are rich beyond anything? They never have to work a day in their life and they're miserable. And there's so many people, you know, don't have anything and they're so happy and fulfilled. Uh, they have plenty in their own minds. They may not, they may not be rich in products or uh, environment or whatever it may be, but they're rich in their heart and they're rich in their relationships and they're so fulfilled. So we're going to play a new segment. All right. We're going to play a little game. We're going to call this game is called La Orna. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Bear with me for a second. So there's a brand new thing that we're trying out. We always like to play fun games with our uh, with our guests. So law or not is a game to test our knowledge of the law. Essentially, we'll be given two laws. One is a real law known to a specific state. and Another one is made up by my team. Our goal is to do our best figuring out which is your real law and which one is fake. Are you ready to test your knowledge on law or not? Let's do it. All right. Okay. Here's the first one. I'll let you go first. You're the guest. You go first. Okay. So in Michigan, it is punishable by law to take a gallon of water from a lake. That's law number one. Law number two is in 1969, the state of Washington made it illegal to kill Big, Bigfoot. Which one is law and which one is not? That is interesting. Um, with regards to water from Michigan, I'd be thinking maybe if those are reservoirs and there's a, a controlled usage of that water, that could be illegal. Um, the Bigfoot one almost seems like a red herring. That is so preposterous and ridiculous. I feel like that one is thrown in there because it's probably real. And that's the clearly, it seems fake. But 1969, 
know, camera technology was terrible back then. There could have been a frenzy and fear around it. If Bigfoot did exist, he would want to be studied. Um, and you wouldn't want him to be a prize for a hunter. Um, so I don't know Michigan law, but that seems mundane enough to actually be law or not be law. And I think I'm going to go ahead and say the Bigfoot one is law. Okay. I'm going to play it safe, my friend. I'm, I'm actually, I'm a pretty risk taker. I'm wild, you know, like, but I'm going to go with number one. I think that's a law. I think it's absolutely absurd, even in 1969, with or without cameras, that it's illegal to kill Bigfoot. All right. What's the answer? So the person who got the point is Josh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> like, unbelievable. Like, do you understand what we're dealing with? <laughs> like this is this is this is crazy all right you ready for the second one let's do it all right first first law in 2016 south dakota made it punishable by law to call someone a northy the second one is in 2017 maryland decided swearing is a punishable misdemeanor law or not so i'm thinking North Dakota is pretty conservative, and I would doubt that Northy rises to basically a slur that would be punishable by law. And I would imagine they're pretty, pretty staunch on the First Amendment. Whereas, what was the other state? Maryland? Maryland, yes. 2017? Yes. That's close to D.C. We've got a lot of people filming cops and cursing them out for basically TikTok at that point. That could be disruptive to the enforcement of law. I'm thinking that one is real law, that it is illegal to curse. Um, and I think the other one is fake. Okay, so I, I think I'm gonna, oh man, punishable by a misdemeanor for swearing? I mean, the things I, the signs I've seen at the White House, uh, just unbelievable. I can't <laughs> that uh, that's punishable misdemeanor, but I, I'm, I'm gonna have to agree with you there. What is the answer? So the answer is number one is the fake law. Number one is the fake law. Okay, so. Yeah, it's not illegal to call somebody a Northie. So if you're in North Dakota and you want to call somebody a Northie, you go ahead. No problem with that whatsoever. All right, here's the third and final question. In Hawaii, you cannot put a coin in your ear. That's the first one. And the second one, in Georgia, you cannot eat more than three peaches a day. I mean, oh, that got to be fake. Georgia, peaches are the natural crop of Georgia. That's got to be fake. Why would they harm their own business like that? And putting a coin in your ear seems like it would be a signal for some more nefarious activity. Um, <laughs> so I'm thinking that's probably some, I think in Hawaii, that's probably legitimate law. I don't know what having the coin in your ear means, but I bet it's an invitation for to do something illegal. Um, and Georgia, eat all the peaches you want. I w I'm going to agree with you. That is just mind blowing. But I want to know who's putting coins in their ears. I want to know. You audience, anybody out there, if you've ever put a coin in your ear and you could tell me, please, uh, Twitter, text, something. I want to know what is going on with coins in the ear. All right. So the fake law is the Georgia law. The Georgia law is a fake law. All right. Good job, man. These attorneys, are you kidding me? These guys, man, they're analytical. Did you, did you hear them analyze that? You're coming to Jeopardy with me. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. All right, so another thing that we like to do is we always like to give our audience participation and people send in questions. And we have a question from Candice. Should I encourage my son to find a part-time job or use his interest to become an entrepreneur? So I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Uh, if 
your son wants to be an entrepreneur, that's going to be a double full-time job. So a part-time job might be great to both uh, provide that resume line and professional experience as a fallback if he needs it, as well as some income, um, while still having that extra time in the day to pursue his entrepreneurial, um, entrepreneurial goals. And I think for someone who's never operated in business, it is a valid perspective to learn how larger companies operate, learn what a typical corporate nine to five is, both so you understand how that side of the world works. And I mean, it may reveal, it may turn out that he doesn't love entrepreneurial pursuits, or it may turn out that that, that part-time job is so repulsive that it is the wind in his sails that furthers his entrepreneurial journeys. Um, so I think, I think it both is the answer to that one. Uh, a part-time job will be a great way to keep you know, the ship afloat as he does these non-profitable entrepreneurial ventures. may inspire him even further, him or her even further to pursue these entrepreneurial ventures. Um, and I think that's just going to be valid experience and, and continue to motivate him to not have to continue to work that way. I agree. So, you know, I often talk about my other financial business besides being a doctor. I help build entrepreneurs. We often, and I, I would say about 90%, 95% of the people who join my team uh, have some sort of part-time job while they're learning. So I think it's vital and important, especially now, some of the people that are so desperate to become entrepreneurs, to become something and build themselves up, but they have no way to support themselves while their journey is happening. I mean, it, it's never, and I mean almost never overnight. So I often encourage people, keep your job, make some money, support your family, support yourself. At the same time, you're going to have to roll up your sleeves. You may not sleep as much. You may not play Nintendo as much. You may not go to the movies as much, but you're going to build something great because you rolled up your sleeves you kept your part-time job or even a full-time job and you pursued your interest to become an entrepreneur. So I completely agree with you. I think it's vital. It's important. And by having your time in different places allows you to focus and allows you to understand what multitasking is. And while you multitask, I'm, you can support me on this. That's a big part of entrepreneurship. If you cannot multitask, if you cannot wear several hats at one time, you have no business in business. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So do you have any last words for us? Anything that you'd like to share and please promote yourselves? How can we find you? How can we talk to you? And all the great, amazing business people, you seem like the guy to go to. So how do we get to find you? Sure. So if there's anybody in Denver, Colorado, that's looking for help with a startup, um, entity choosing between a corporation or an LLC, how to structure your partnership agreements. If you're looking to raise money from investors, just have any operational contracts that you want written, whether those be with customers, suppliers, clients, employees, anything like that. If you're looking to exit and sell your business or grow through acquisition, uh, we can provide very practical, effective advice um, in a way that's not going to break the bank, but is going to be very protective and, and look after your interests and, and help with strat strategic consulting, just brainstorm together, anything like that. Uh, you know, We're happy to help. We do free 15-minute consultations if someone wants to get to know us and just chat and kick the tires on whether we can help and, and what their issue is. Um, if anyone has an issue that's, that doesn't warrant our services, we're happy to walk you through how to do it yourself. Uh, we'll do that all the time. Tell clients, hey, you, know, you don't need me for this. Go to this website, click on this button. You got it yourself. Um, because we just like to support the mission and the philosophy of entrepreneurship. And if that doesn't mean I can charge you for it, I still want you to succeed. Uh, I still want to help you in any way that I can. 
um, and just a word of encouragement that I would give to individuals who are or thinking about entrepreneurship and are are feeling overwhelmed by the kind of the daunting task ahead of you is just think about who do you know that isn't stressed? You know, no matter what you do, whether you work a nine to five, whether you're an entrepreneur, everybody is stressed. Uh, what we get to choose is what brand and flavor of stress we want. And by avoiding entrepreneurship, you're not necessarily avoiding stress. You're just choosing a different brand. And I would encourage you to grit your teeth and hang your toes over that cliff's edge and stare into the void and feel confident that you'll find your way through it if you cho choose to jump. And I could have never seen my path working out the way that it has. I honestly, when I started the firm, thought that there was a greater likelihood than I would fail than I would succeed. But at that point in my life, it was an inflection point where I had to decide for myself what type of man that I wanted to be and how I wanted to honor my brother's legacy. And it was that impetus that caused me to jump into that void. And in doing so, not only did I find my way to success professionally, I, I truly found myself and have become so much more of the me that I wanted to be than I ever could have done in a structured nine to five job. So don't let the stress or the fact that you don't know things yet deter you. Understand that you will be stressed in whatever adventure you take, um, but at least the stress that you control, at least the stress that you're willing to sacrifice for because the rewards of it will be worth it to you is a more easy stress to endure because you're not making someone else rich. You're making yourself rich. You're not helping facilitate someone else's dream. You're chasing your dream. And when you achieve it, you will get to reap all the benefits. So yes, the stress will be there, but the payout for the stress will be higher. And you don't have to know everything from day one. You can figure it out as you go. Uh, you can learn the skills you need and you can find your way. It's, it's not an immediate succeed or fail. It's, it's a journey to find your way. Um, and in doing so, you will find a better life and find a better version of yourself. So I think it has been the most fulfilling and enriching journey I've ever been on in my life. Um, I'm extremely proud to be in the position I'm in now. And we are living in a world where the life of the employee is only getting more oppressive. Email hasn't saved you time. It's cost you more. You're not, you, you're more on call all the time. Same with texting, same with Zoom, all these things. They're not saving you time. They're just making it easier for your employer to track you. And nobody who stands to profit from you will tell you how to escape that system. So if you want to do it, you have to believe in yourself. Um, and you have to understand that while this world may not, may not be revealed to you yet, it does exist. The world of entrepreneurs who have freed themselves of this structure and who are so willing to give back and help you is there. You just may not be able to see it yet. So, and that's why I say you got to hang your toes over the cliff and stare into the void because you can't see it, but there's a lot there. So have the confidence, believe in yourself, be willing to bet on yourself, and you may just create a life and a living that you could have never imagined. It was a pleasure having you, Josh. That was amazing. You guys got some serious, serious knowledge dropped on you by a very analytical guy, great attorney, thinker, all right, entrepreneur, amazing. So, Thank you, Dr. Slava. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, man. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching us. If you're listening to make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for listening to The Time Is Now with Dr. Slava Shutt. And tune in every Friday at 8 a.m. and send in your questions. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Slavin. Thank you, listeners.